This is Rilo's Quack Chat. As a coal maker, I enjoy talking shop with other duck call makers. On this podcast, it's all about duck calls and duck hunting. From the marsh to the duck call shop, we're going to find the story behind the duck calls and the people that make them. This is Rilo's Quack Chat. Hey, hey, everybody, how's it going? This is Riley Hendrickson with Rilo's Quack Chat, talking about duck calls and duck hunting right here. Uh, yeah, on the Quack Chat, in the Quack Chat shack, just want to bring you up to speed real quick. The reason I have been gone for a month is my wife started working from home, so I went from my studio being in the closet to my studio being in the corner of the closet, so... Yeah, so I uh, had a big demotion recently. So, but yet I am still in the corner of the quack chat. Um, yeah, but yeah, so things have been busy and just plugging away, making duck calls, getting ready for real foot. I will be down there this year, so I'm very excited. And uh, yeah, man, just talking to duck call makers and getting ready for that stuff coming up. But anyway. This podcast was made to tell the story behind the duck calls and the people that make them. Today we are talking to the maker of the cigar duck call and the founder of the call lounge. I am very honored to have on as a guest today, Mr. Chris Owens. Chris, how are you doing, sir? Hey, man, I'm doing good. How about you? Good. What have you been up to? Uh, just working, man. That's, that's really about it. It's hot down here, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't... When it gets this hot, I don't get out in the shop a whole lot, so it's mainly just been working. <laughs> yeah, where, where's your uh, duck season at? Has it come in yet? <clears throat> uh, we have uh, we have an early teal season that comes in in September. Um, be honest with you, I've never been a big fan of it. It's 90-plus degrees. Uh, it just, really and truthfully, it's just not worth it to me. But it comes back in uh, after teal season. We get a, a short week of hunting around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes back out for a couple of weeks, and it comes back in like mid-December and runs till toward the end of, of uh, January. So Nice. Nice. Yeah, you know, Chris, I, I really enjoy having different duck call makers on because what's so fascinating to me is all these guys turn different pieces of wood, and, man, they have – all of them are have different jobs, and I mean, one gentleman that was on, I mean, he works in the Pentagon, and then, I mean, some guys are lawyers, doctors, I mean, just all types of people. So I just have to say one one thing, Chris, before I say anything more, I, I'd like to have my lawyer present. How many times have you heard that in your oh, yeah. line of business? <laughs> yeah, it happens. I'm a, I'm a detective with the local sheriff's office here in Florence, South Carolina. Um, I've been in law enforcement for about 20 years now, so I'm I'm close to retirement. Nice. So you've heard that statement quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Usually it's not that I want a lawyer. It's they're trying to find out who they can rat out to get a better deal. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, you have that stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, so when when did you start duck hunting, Chris? Um actually, I got a late start in life. Um I grew up, my dad, my dad didn't hunt. Uh, we fished every weekend, but mm-hmm. 
you know, he never hunted. Uh, we didn't do any kind of hunting at all. I started picking some of it up when I was a teenager. Probably, I would say maybe around 16 or 17 is when I really started trying to take an interest in it. Of course, I started with deer hunting. So our mm -hmm. deer season runs like five months long. So yeah, that that's the big thing around here is it's always been deer hunting. And, um, and just from there, it's just kind of, you know, everything I did was on my own. I had to learn the hard way. Um, I went from deer hunting to, to dove hunting, turkey hunting, and just kind of fell into duck hunting for a while. And, um, you know, we've had some good years. We've had some bad years. Unfortunately, it seems like bad years have far outweighed the good years. But uh, I would probably say I started duck hunting maybe about maybe about 10 years ago. Really? And I'm 41 now, so yeah. Yeah, it's probably been, it's been at least 10 years ago, but I'd say 10 years is probably a good estimate. Wow. So what kind of duck calls did you use before you started making calls? Uh, to be honest with you, it was all local around here. Um, the the biggest call maker that nobody um, ha that nobody has ever heard of outside of this area or the state of South Carolina is a guy named Eddie Cribb. It's an older fella. He's hmm. since passed away now. Um, he used to be the guy that you went to to get duck calls. Um, hmm. He's made a ton of duck calls while he was alive. Um, Almost everybody that you run into duck hunting, at least back then, I'm not sure now. I, th I think uh, the internet's caught up with people around here, so it's, it, it may have changed. But at least back then, um, almost everybody you ran into had an Eddie Crib duck call. Um, hmm. There were a couple of other um, call makers that you may see on, around somebody's lanyard, but that was uh, he was the main one, at least for my area. Um, because he was from here. Uh, he resided here. So I got to meet him. Um, we hung out for uh, quite a few years. Um, a lot of guys around here think that I learned how to make duck calls from him, but that's not actually true. I had actually already gone um, and learned on my own. When we hung out, we very rarely talked about duck calls at all. We just kind of hung out, you know, as old friends and Hmm. We discussed duck hunting, but we we may discuss football. I mean, it, you know, we didn't we didn't get together every week and and just talk about duck calls. But so I'd say um, before before I started making any calls and before I really even knew about the whole small shop uh, thing, that really and truthfully, it was one of his calls that I had on my lanyard, and I actually still I've since retired it because I don't want to lose it, but. Um, you know, I'd still put it on my lanyard. It's it's a different breed of a duck call for sure. Really? What's so different about it? I mean, are they pretty sweet? Are they gravelly? Or do they have a high end? How would you exp uh, describe them? I would characterize them as extremely – It they take a lot of air to blow. Uh, at least his earlier calls did. And so when he uh, – some of his calls later in life, they became easier to blow. He used to make nothing but double reads, but he started – um, he started making nothing but single reads toward the end. Um, I would say the, the 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 reason that so many people, at least in my area, and, and to be honest with you, the guys here aren't as experienced in duck hunting as guys in Louisiana or Arkansas or North Dakota. It's just 
it's not something that is, you know, a big thing around here like other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so the biggest thing for a beginner is, you know, they have a tendency to overblow calls, not, you know, presenting air properly and not really, you know, understanding the mechanics of how it's supposed to work. The big draw was is that his diameter, his um, barrel diameter was actually a little bit larger than five-eighths. So uh, his inserts were a little bigger. Um, they took a lot more air to blow, and they were very, very hard to overblow. So you could pretty much crank down on them and never have to worry about them sticking or um, or overblowing the call. So that's kind of why all the guys used to run those, um, you know, back then. Hmm. So what's the terrain like that you guys hunt down there? Uh, a lot of swamp bottoms, a lot of rivers. Uh, we do have a couple of, we have, we have some lakes some some decent sized lakes in the state. Um, there's lots of speculation on why the ducks don't visit those lakes anymore. But, uh, I, I think really and truthfully, it's comes down to two things. It's food source and pressure. Um, they, they basically get hammered if they hit the lakes and the, uh, the lakes get sprayed or grass carp get introduced into the lake to try to keep the uh, some of the grass from growing um, to to appease some of the tourists that come down during boating season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the minute they started doing that is when we really started losing a lot of ducks because um, mm-hmm. that was their food source. But uh, I would so I would say that uh, the majority of the hunting that I do is usually on the river system um, or swamp bottoms. Uh, our the king of our ducks is is the wood duck of course i mean that's what you're going to see the majority of most of the season um but if you go down to the coast which is only about 45 minutes from where i'm at you go down to the coast you you get a chance at a bunch of different birds um pintails uh things of that nature Mm -hmm. yeah we we get a lot of that's mainly our bread and butter here in indiana's wood ducks that's yeah. pretty much all we get. Um, we do get some mallards and maybe some stray gadwalls later in the season, but it's mainly wood yeah. ducks. Yeah, our biggest problem here is it just, man, it just doesn't get cold anymore. You know, not not the temperatures that we need to really get a push of ducks that, that will keep coming south. Um, yeah, there's other things that kind of hold them up from, from, uh, from coming down here in great numbers. We used to be... Uh, we used to grow a lot of rice in the state. That that's kind of a thing of the past, um, you know. And and honestly, it, it really doesn't start getting very cold here until after duck season's over. Um, there's been many times, you know, maybe three three weeks after duck season's uh, done, all of a sudden we get a big push of birds because it finally got cold. So it's kind of frustrating. You're just mm. really waiting on the weather, hoping it's going to get cold and maybe push some ducks down this way yeah yeah so well what are you thinking about this season is it going to be hot again are you guys getting cold fronts we're getting cold fronts here like we're getting pretty optimistic yeah i usually don't hold out much hope um (laughs) i usually i I will say that if we've had about two or three years where it's been kind of 
unseasonably warm. I start getting a little excited because I feel like we're due for a cold snap. Um, our best hunting actually occurs when we have a week of uh, where the daytime temperatures kind of hover around the freezing mark. And mm-hmm. then at night it gets down into the teens. Uh, it starts locking up all the back sloughs and stuff that you can't get to by boat. Um, kind of forces the ducks to kind of come back out on the main river. Uh, and that's when we really start having, you know, good hunts. But I think the last time that really happened was probably about two or three years ago. So mm-hmm. maybe we are due for a, a cold season. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, when did you start Owen's <clears throat> custom calls? When did you start making duck calls? Um, I would probably say I had actually started in call making probably about 16, at least 16 years ago. I remember it was before my son was born and he's just turned 15. Um, I had no interest in duck hunting, no interest in duck calls. Um, my passion was turkey hunting. And so that's where I concentrated my efforts. I didn't have... I didn't have fancy lathes or, you know, all the tools and stuff that I've been blessed to accumulate over the years now. But, um, you know, back then I was actually carving turkey pot calls out by hand and it would, it would take like eight hours just to do one, one call. Um, and then I was blessed to, uh, to, to get a hand me down wood lathe. It was an old craftsman wood wood lathe it was like a 36 inch long table on it um that's what i learned to turn on it was hard finding parts for it um (laughs) so we kind of had to rig everything up uh we didn't you know i didn't have mandrels and things of that sort so i had to make a lot of stuff that i used um and just piece by piece over the years i've finally gotten you know got all the tools that i think i need there's always stuff that i want but um you know, just over the years have finally pieced together enough that I can, you know, make my life a lot easier. But I wouldn't change it for the world because I learned a lot. Um, anytime you have to, anytime you have to do stuff by hand and have to figure things out to make things work, you learn so much more than just, you know, like today. If I wanted to just all of a sudden say, "Hey, I want to, I want to get in the duck calls," I mean, man, there's so many resources. Mm-hmm. that you can you can find that basically give you a blueprint here's the tools you need here's you know here's what you need to do and I'm not saying that you'll make a great duck call but i think anybody can really pick it up and make one that that sounds like a duck just mm-hmm. just off the information they can find on the internet now yeah uh, you know it, it wasn't like that when i first started out but um i had a guy that a uh, buddy of mine that i worked with that that first approached me about making duck calls and I, I flat out told him like, look, man, I, I don't duck hunt, you know, I don't make duck calls. And he kept, he kept asking and kept asking. And I said, listen, you know, only thing I can do, I can turn you a barrel. There's a company called echo. They sell inserts. If you don't mind having one of their inserts in a barrel, I'll do that. Um, and I made, uh, I think I made a few for him. Um, he gave a couple to his, to his kids and, uh, and I really, that's really kind of when the interest started peaking. It's like, wait a minute, you know, this is, this is kind of cool, but I want to be able to make the entire thing myself. So mm-hmm. 
I, that's really where the love started. You know, I, I started doing a lot of research. Um, we had some phenomenal resources that were, you know, unheard of. They had just, uh, had just started going strong. That's mainly, uh, THO game mm-hmm. calls at a forum. And that's where a lot of guys really learned how to become better call makers. Um, uh, the uh, atmosphere there, the community, uh, it was all about sharing tips and what works, what doesn't work it, from finishes to how, you know, how to turn what, you know, just everything you could possibly imagine. And like I've told on a lot of new, new makers that started that, that asked me questions, I would always point them to that website and say, listen, man, go to the very end of the duck call forum and start reading from back to front because they listed them from newest to oldest post. So I would Mm -hmm. always say, go to the very end, start reading and don't start messing around with, with in your shop until you're done reading and write stuff down because there's a lot of questions that you have right now that have already been answered um, on that internet site. So, you know, start reading and once you get a good grasp of what you think is going on, then start turning, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it sad they let that get deleted? I will say this, and and I don't know. I I can say this. I still have access to the site. (gasps) No. Yep. Um, and I don't know how many people know this. I don't know if you, if you were never had a login, I don't know if you can access it, but if you ever had a login on that site, you can't post, but you can still log on to the site and you can read all the old stuff. It did go down for a while. And I think maybe about two or three years ago, it, uh, it popped back up. So actually you can still go there and read through a lot of the old stuff. Now, some of the pictures that um, that they had in the post might not be there, but mm-hmm. most of them still are. So, wow. So yeah, I, like I said, I don't know if if you never had a login, I don't know if you can go and read. But if you if you used to, you know, be an active member there, mm-hmm. I can still get on. Um, matter of fact, there there are times where I'll still log on and read through because. You know, you never stop learning. So, now are some of the posts like that Charlie has himself put on there? Are they still there? I don't remember. Okay, I I know that. Um, man, I I would say that the majority of the site is untouched. I mean, you you know, wow. there. If you if you get on there, and like I said, almost everything that I can recall is still there. It's just that some of the um, some of the websites that people use to host their photos when they were posted in, uh, may have disappeared. Hmm. Um, but a lot of the old material is still there. I would probably say 95 to 97% of the old material is still there. Wow. Wow. That is cool. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Like when you were telling me how you got started, I got started with two 1974 craftsmen, 36 inch lathes. Did mm-hmm. you, did you ever have to make your own mandrels with the O-rings, wooden mandrels? Oh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I still <laughs> probably in this shop somewhere still have dowel rods that I used to go to Lowe's. Uh, yep. Hardwood dowel rods. I would purchase, 
you know, a bigger size than I needed. And I would actually chuck them up on the, on the lathe and turn them down. Um, I had homemade mandrels for everything. Um, the beauty was you could make them exactly like you wanted to. So, if, you know, if you were a goose call maker who might have a stepped, uh, barrel, you could actually make each step of the, of the uh, mandrel to match that. So, um, you know, the, the biggest issue that I had and, and you learn real quick is that once you put it, once you chucked your material up on one of those mandrels, like you try not to take it off unless you were completely done because it wasn't quite as accurate as what we have now. So you oh, yeah. get a little bit of a wobble in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you tried to finish, uh, you know, as much as you could before you, you took it off. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I still have a couple of my old wooden mandrels and I think it was like a couple weeks ago, uh, a new duck call maker was like, I don't have my own mandrels yet. I was like, get some wood. <laughs> you mm-hmm. can get some O-rings. I, I yeah, think you don't, you, you know, you, there's really, you don't need everything you can get, you know, you can, uh, I would say bare minimum. If you've got a lathe, um, and, and the tools, uh, to, to turn wood with and a, and a sharpened system. And, and even now you don't even need that. I know a lot of guys have gone the, the carbide route. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lathe and the tools and you can pretty much make everything else you want. You know, you don't need a whole lot of things. Um, I would suggest maybe a four jaw chuck just so you could hold material to drill on the lathe that takes out the drill press. Yeah. Um, you know, if you really want to get into something, you can do it. You don't need to go out and buy everything under the sun. Uh, you learn to appreciate it when you can't afford that stuff because you remember how hard it used to be when you had to make everything. But where there's a will, there's a way. That's what they say. Yeah, and it gives you so many tricks to have in that back pocket, let me tell you. Because if oh, your absolutely. mandrel breaks, you know exactly what to do. You go get the old mandrel or you make a wooden one and... Sure, you're going to. It's going to take more sanding in post, but you can get it done. Yeah, that's where I was saying that I wouldn't change it. You know, as a matter of fact, I still make mandrels um, out of wood for various purposes. Not, not to turn calls anymore, but I still make certain tools out of uh, hardwood. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a mandrel that I use to, you know, to sand the inside of uh transparent b- barrels i've mm-hmm. got you know just all kinds of little things it's like when i don't have a tool that i need i'll just go and make it so yeah and i think that's what separates you as a call maker once you can learn how to make your own tools i mean i that that same call maker he was asking me he's like well what do i do with the tone board i was like do you mic do you mind making a louisiana no. Yeah. I was like, okay, then cut your shape. I showed him how to cut a shape on the tone board. And he's like, what about the groove? I was like, go get a Dremel with a Dremel with a wood bit. And yeah. we'll we'll just mark the channel. And you literally just route, router, or not router, uh, Dremel. You literally just Dremel in the tone channel and just yeah. sand it out. And he's like, there's no way it can work. And it, it ended up blowing his mind. He's like, holy crap. It's like, yeah, when you don't have the good tools, you figure out other ways. Yeah, I think uh, one good example of that is I had a young kid that uh, came up to me. I was at a buddy of mine's house. It was his son. And he came in, and he had, a, I think it was a duck commander, one of those cheap poly 
uh, mm-hmm. duck commander calls, and he had lost the wedge uh, to the call, but he liked the call, and he still wanted to use it, and he was like, is there anything you can do? Um, and, I, I mean, I'm over at his house. I didn't have any of my tools with me, so I, I asked his mom, I said, do you have, do you have a cork out of a wine bottle? Yep. And she was like, yeah, I, I got cork. I said, give me, a, give me a sharp knife and a piece of cork. And so I actually sat there at the table and actually cut a, a cork, you know, to fit, um, to fit his duck call. And, uh, you know, he was amazed by it. And I'm like, Hey man, you, you got to use what works, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's ingenious. I haven't thought of the cork cork yet. Maybe not the perfect solution, but it worked in a pinch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, those you figure out how to do those things pretty quick. And you know what's funny? You go from the craftsman lathe, you go from the handmade uh, mandrels, and then you go to being the cigar duck call guy. How did that happen? Uh, that actually came about 2014. Um, it was the first time I decided to enter the NWTF. Mm-hmm. call makers contest and i was i wanted to enter the decorative division uh because i'd been seeing work from some from some phenomenal guys that you know i just I, i've always had an interest in the decorative side of things for sure and i felt like i wanted to to enter that division mm-hmm. um but i didn't i didn't carve um you know i I didn't do any, I didn't check her. I didn't do any of that stuff. And it's like, well, how do you enter the vision and you don't do that stuff? So I was trying to think of a way that I could make something, um, with the, with the tools that I had. And I kept trying to just basically think of the basics of a duck call. You know, what, what is the basic shape of a duck call? And in its most basic form, it's a cylinder with a hole in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really just started thinking, well, what are some everyday objects that, you know, have the same kind of characteristics? And I think I, I must, it, it took me weeks of just thinking and, and just coming up with ideas and saying, no, nah, that's not going to work or I can't pull that off. And I was laying in bed one night. Um, it was real late. And I remember it just that idea came to me. It's like, you know, guys get get finished duck call, uh, duck hunting and they'll go back to the lodge and they'll celebrate over a glass of bourbon and a nice cigar and you know that that's a part of the the heritage and traditions and i was like wow you know uh it'd be really cool if you could make a duck a duck call that looked like a cigar and so that that idea actually came to me i would think uh the summer before um, the contest and over the next nine or 10 weeks before the contest, you know, before the rules came out and all that, I think over the next nine or 10 weeks, I I never touched the lathe with this idea. It was all on paper. What can I do to make this? What can I do to make this? How am I going to go about, how am I going to go about making the ash and this, that, and the other. And um, so it finally came time. I had all my ideas on paper. I decided I'm going to do this. I'm going to enter it into the contest. And I actually, um, I got through most of it. I actually uh, got the barrel done. I had to insert where I wanted. And all I had to do was carve the ash. 
and I made a mistake. And I won't tell anybody what the mistake was, but when I made it, I was devastated because I realized I'd just done all this work and I'd made one lapse of judgment, one little critical error. And I was like, Oh my God, I've screwed this thing up. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of extra material to make it from. So, you know, I, I was I was starting to kind of panic. You know, the, the deadline was approaching, you know, because call makers always wait to the last minute. Yeah. And um, I just went back into the shop, and I decided that I was going to try something a little different using what I already had. And to be honest with you, that little mistake is actually what made it look more realistic, at least in my opinion. Really? Um, so there, there have been times in my life where – you know, not just duck call making, but uh, especially duck call making where I'll make a mistake and I'll get real angry about it and I'm ready to throw throw the whole thing across the room. And then I, you know, and I remember that that time where I was like, wait a minute, maybe there's a way to fix it. Maybe it'll mm-hmm. look even better. So I entered in the contest uh, with that call. Um, so I guess... Uh, February, I, I guess it was around February of 2014s when the contest was, and um, I, I didn't attend the contest. I was actually back home uh, pulling duty because we had had a big ice storm that basically shut power down to to the whole town. So I was actually working while the contest was going on, and all of a sudden I started getting a lot of messages and phone calls from guys that were at the show that were like, Hey man, I just saw the call, you know, you know, they were telling me how much they liked it. And, um, sure enough, I I got a phone call from a buddy of mine. He was like, man, um, dude, you crushed it, man. You won like a bunch of stuff off of it. So I actually didn't win my division. I got beat out by, um, another phenomenal call maker. Hmm. I'm trying to remember who it was, but, uh, I didn't win my division, but I think I ended up winning like uh, amateur call maker of the year, um, a chairman's award. There were there were several different awards that I won with it, and um, you know that that's kind of how it started. But I didn't I didn't go to making a you know after that contest I didn't make another one for a long time. That was that was kind of. In my head, it was kind of a one and done kind of deal. It's like that's what I did for that contest. That's that's it. Um, and then I started getting getting some requests, wanting to know if I could do it again. Uh, some guys that wanted to purchase one, and uh, I ended up making a couple um, here and there. And the more guys that saw them, it's like the more people, you know, sent me messages wanting to order and. Next thing I know, I found myself about two years deep and had to cut orders off because I couldn't, I, you know, I just, I was getting swamped with them. So, oh, wow. Um, I'm just now getting to the point where I can kind of see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I don't have as much time to work in the shop as I used to. Uh, but, you know, I, when I do get, get some spare time, I do come out here and try to knock them out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, the other day I saw um, someone posted three of your cigars, and I think did did you put different bands on them? Like they look like the actual cigar bands. 
Yeah, I've, I actually had some some bands uh, custom made with my logo, but there are times where I've I've had guys that are big cigar smokers, and they'll you know they'll say, "Hey, man, can I send you some bands? Can you find one to put on?" And I, you know, I'm more than happy to do so. You know, so um, I know what post you're talking about, and that particular guy, he didn't ask for it, but because he bought two calls, I decided to do something a little different. I put one of my bands on, and and I had another band in here from a cigar that I stuck on his other one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and man, just the way you get the ash and everything, oh man, they're just so slick. Well, if it wasn't for that, man, I wouldn't sell any, I can promise. (laughs) That's the most, uh, as far as the visual aspect, that's the most crucial part. Um, I've seen some other guys try to make them, and that's always the part that they fail at. Yeah. And... I've been real good about keeping it a secret. I don't talk about it a whole lot. Um, there's maybe two people that know everything I do, all the work I put in to, to get them to look like that. But I've, I've really kept it a, a trade secret, so to speak. Just a, It's unique. to it, It's something that I've done. It's kind of unique to me. And I've tried to, you know, tried to keep it a secret so that it, you know, I don't, I'm not out here sharing a whole lot of information as far as as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I'll share information on a lot of other things, but that's kind of my go-to call. That's the one that keeps me the busiest, and that's the one I kind of keep close to my chest. Right, right. You have to. I mean, when you put so many freaking hours into developing one thing, you kind of hold that card. You know, you well, yeah. That's my opinion. Um, that's the way I feel about it. It's no different from, it's no different in my opinion than Brad samples and, and, and the feather carving that he does. You know, when you look at, when you look at, um, and Brad's a good friend of mine, so he knows I'm going to say this, but when you look at what those feathers on the bands or wherever he decides to put them, when you look at them and, and it's not a difficult concept. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's made so many that he can make them look perfect. If I was to try to do them, I'd probably butcher them up. But at some point in time, I'd probably do a fairly good job. But right. um, but that aspect is like, I know there was a lot of call makers when they first saw him do that, they just slapped themselves in the forehead. And it was just like, why didn't I think of that? That's so simple. Mm-hmm. Look how great it looks, but it's a simple idea. Why didn't I think of that? And the call makers from the old days, back in the THO and CCO days, custom calls online, which actually was more secretive than THO was by far. But, you know, the guys that grew up on those Internet forums, when we saw that, it's like it immediately became off limits to us because that's something that he came up with, you know, we slapped our, our our foreheads and said, "God, I wish I'd have come up with that idea." It's, you know, it's a it's a great idea. It looks great. I wish I would have come up with it. But that's Brad's thing, you know. Yeah, he's he may not have been the first to do it. I don't know. He's the first one I saw do it on a regular basis. And I attribute if any time I see a call with feathers on it, he's the first name that pops up in my head. But yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there that don't think uh, the same way I do about that. 
uh, they think everything's fair game. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that, uh, but and and it's caused some quite some arguments over the years. But uh, you know, I I just I, I just I want to see call makers push each other to do something better. You know, if I come out with this new idea, I don't want to see five other five or six other people copy that same thing. I want to see them say, look, that was a great idea. I can come up with something better and do something, you know, totally unique. Yeah. Um, try to push the envelope a little bit, but you know, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of different opinions when it comes to stuff like that. Some guys don't, don't have a problem with it at all. Some people think that there's really nothing sacred when it comes to, to different designs. And then there are those that, um, you know, that do think that they're sacred and I've never carved the feather band and I never will because that's Brad's thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not casting shade at the guys that have done it. Um, if you talk to Brad, he'll say that he doesn't care and that's, that's his thing, you know, but I still care even if he doesn't, because I know that, you know, it was a great idea the only reason people are copying it because it was such a great idea, but it was his idea. And I, I think if, if guys would use some of that energy and try to think of the next big idea, you know, call making as a whole would be better. Um, but that's just my opinion. You know, how far we have come from Chick Major teaching Butch Richenbach as a uh, an apprentice and Butch refused to make calls until Chick died. And that's how yeah. it used to go. I mean, if yeah. you learned duck calls, you learned it from the old man uh, yep. and you helped him in the shop. I mean, Butch, by the time Chick was gone, Butch had already proven himself um, yeah. that he, he had proven that he was, um, he could make calls and, Man, how far we've come from that. Holy crap. Yeah, um, you know, I, I spoke about my buddy Eddie Cribb earlier. He, you know, he, he his background was very similar to what you just mentioned. He actually learned how uh, – he was a contest caller, mm -hmm. um, and he, uh, he blew duck calls from a guy named Jack Lundy, who was also a local gentleman. Um, I believe they both worked for DuPont – um, hmm. which is where they got all the mylar for the reeds, the hmm. uh, reed material. Um, funny, funny little story is that if you could try to go out right now and get reed material, you, you can get it in 14 mil or 10 mil. Mm -hmm. And that's about all you're going to find. But I've got a whole stack of 12 mil that came straight from DuPont's factory. Whoa. Um, and that's what, that's what my buddy used to use in all of his double reed duck calls. He used 12 mil. Hmm. So the way he got it was that when, when a factory is running one size and they want to go to another size, they're running 10 mil and they got to go to 14 mil for the next order. They don't stop the machine. They keep running it and gradually increase the thickness until they hit 14 mil. So he would just talk to the operator and say, Hey man, when you hit 12 mil, how about save me some sheets? And he had like a whole room stacked top to bottom of nothing but 12 mil. So wow. I was lucky enough to get my hands on some of them. It's, uh, I'm sure 
I'm sure if you put some of this stuff in some of the cut downs that these guys love to make nowadays, I'm, I'm sure it would uh, be a home run. But uh, you can't get it anymore, so I don't part with it. Yeah, yeah, it. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. That uh, just, I mean, they worked at a place that made mylar. That's crazy. Yeah, and you know, and and he. Uh, Mr. Mr. Eddie actually learned how to make duck calls from Jack. Um, Jack mm-hmm. actually took him under his wing, taught him the basics of how to make a duck call. And um, matter of fact, the only thing that he ever used a lathe for was actually to turn the barrel shape and, and the insert shape. Um, mm-hmm. Everything other than that went going down to, you know, cutting his uh, cork notch out was done on a table saw. Um, the shape, the, the profile of his tone board was done on a router that he had made a homemade jig out of wood to route out the uh, tone board. Mm -hmm. Um, he learned, you know, he learned from Jack, um, and he really didn't kind of become popular until Jack kind of stepped away. Once Jack stepped away from making them, you know, he, he, he had a very, he had a shape that was similar Mm-hmm. Um, to Jack's, but as he progressed, he got away from that and, and kind of came into his own shape and, and design and everything. So, yeah, it's, like you were saying, it's it's completely different world now because you know before social media, and and I understand that I understand the internet forums are social media, but when I say social media, I, I mean Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Um, before those days, you know, call makers really policed other call makers. Uh, it wasn't you didn't see anybody copying other guys, and if they did, they did it in secret, or they weren't active participants on the forum, but maybe they were just lurkers that that copied ideas from things that they saw, but you never saw their work because they never participated. But as social media became popular. Um, it reached out to a, a way bigger audience, and and that's kind of where where I think that the morals of uh, call making kind of started to go into a gray area. Um, yeah. You know, now if you've got cash in your pockets, you could buy a design, spend most of it on marketing, and by Tuesday you're a you're a new duck call company, never having turned a duck call never knowing how to tune one you you can you can be a, a call maker now and that's how far we've come and for better or worse I, that's where we're at yeah do you want to go there now and then talk about the call lounge or talk about the call lounge then go there no anything you want to do is fine it, it doesn't matter well you know we'll talk about the call lounge here in a second but i mean the other day you you made a post and there were a lot of comments on that post about people's opinion about that. Uh, why don't you just yep. cover that post and we'll just talk about it. Uh, so the post that you're referring to was just asking, uh, basically, it seems like, and I mean no disrespect to anybody and I didn't call anybody's names out. You know, you might infer who I'm referring to, but that's that's as far as it's going to go. I'm, mm-hmm. It's not that I was really thinking about anybody in particular, but there are the market's strange, man. Uh, it's very strange. I saw 
and one day I saw a call maker who was um, a pretty accomplished call maker and, and, and also was a competition caller. Um, I don't know how many people know it, but I knew it. Um, he posted up a call for sale in a couple of different places, and, dude, the price was right. The sound was right. It looked phenomenal. He didn't get a single person that wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. That same day, I saw another listing from another call maker, and I'm just going to be honest with you, the finish was terrible. You could see sand lines in it. Um, you know, the the band wasn't square to the wood. It was actually sticking up in, a, in, in one spot. It really wasn't a good-looking call. Dude, it commanded a phenomenal price. It was it was way up there, and people were tripping over themselves to try to be the first to buy it. And that's when I realized it wasn't about the quality of the call. It was all about this hyped-up marketing that I really do attribute to social media. Um, you know, it, it really, if you're not, it, it seems like if you're not out there pushing a certain lifestyle, or constantly on social media. And, and let's be honest, a lot of guys don't have the time to constantly be on social media, not if you have a family. Right. Um, but there are, there are a lot of good call makers that are really getting passed up that can't sell a duck call. I know several that have actually quit duck call making, period, because they couldn't sell anything. And if you put their duck calls up beside some of the guys that are really selling calls every week, they were right there with them, or even better. But... It seems like there's one little, there's one little thing, you know. It's, it's all about marketing um, that really makes some guys kind of catch fire even before they really should, you know, before they've even proven themselves to be an accomplished call maker. You know, they're selling calls for four hundred bucks. Um, it's crazy. It, it makes no sense to me, and and really, it seems like it has no rhyme or reason. I've seen guys come on the market, or, you know, that that a week prior were asking, you know, how to make a duck call, and a week later they're selling duck calls for four fifty, and people are just tripping over themselves to buy them, and it's all because somebody hyped them up, or somebody said they were going to be the next big thing, or whatever the case may be. I I really don't know. Um. But the fact remains that it does seem like marketing has become a bigger issue uh, in call making, sometimes more so than the actual quality of the call that they're producing. Yeah. So that's kind of where that post was at. And I was just I was just curious whether it was just something I was thinking of and I was alone in, in that thought process. But apparently uh, from the looks of the comments and everything, I, I wasn't alone and there were a lot of guys that were actually thinking that. I think a lot of call makers are probably spend a lot of time asking themselves when they're in the shop making calls, how can I how can I sell more calls? You know? Yeah. What is it that I'm not doing that some other guys are, you know, that they're what do I need to do better? What is it that they're doing that I'm not doing? I can't, I just can't seem to get the exposure that I want. Um and honestly and truthfully I don't have an answer for it. I couldn't tell you, but if somebody can figure it out and they can sell it to other call makers, they'll make a million dollars because it's such a big part of it now. 
You know, we it's all about marketing, man. But then you have these guys that don't even have to worry about, like the names like Samples or Ronnie Turner or uh, just some of these guys just have the names that go with them and people just instantly know those names and they they don't have to market. But they were well, able to get I, in. I don't want to interrupt you there, but I'll I'll tell you where that came from. Uh-huh. All of those got the Mike Stelzners of the world, yep. Ronnie Turner, um, Brad Samples. Yep. Um, you know those those guys. Um, that all came back from the old forum days. Mm. Now, Mike Stelzner. I, I, this is a great example. Mike Stelzner. There was no, you know, there was really no marketing back then. Stelzner was putting out custom calls every week. Guys were seeing them on this internet forum. Guys were buying them. They were giving positive reviews. It took a while. You know, it took years before he finally got to the point where now that's a Stelzner's call. I got to have it. Right. Um, and that was the natural progression of things. Brad Samples, same way. I've got an old Brad Samples call. Dude, I traded him. I think I traded him for like a few pieces of, of hedge. He had ran. He, he ran out of hedge. Asked if anybody had any. I had a couple pieces I wasn't using. I mailed them to him, and like a week later, he mails me a duck call made out of hedge. It's like an early edition um, samples call that's you know probably goes for a couple thousand dollars now. But you know that was back in back in the day. He wasn't doing a lot of fancy carving and stuff like that. He was building working duck calls, and just like I said, the natural progression of of things is it was just years and years of continuing to do good quality work. Mm -hmm. And so now it's just like you said, guys can look at it and say, well, that's samples, man. He doesn't ever market, but he sells calls as soon as he posts them up. Aaron Winger, he, he, you know, he could sell a whistle in five seconds. Those guys started out on those internet forums working hard and trying to, and, and, and building what they have today. So now they don't have to market because of all the years and years of trial and error. That's how they got to where they're at now. Um, they don't need to market because their name, you know, kind of carries itself now, but it wasn't, it wasn't ever handed to them. It wasn't because some guy just all of a sudden overnight decided, Hey, I'm going to start collecting samples calls and make him a hot commodity. Um, it's just because they spent so much time uh, way back then, um, mm -hmm. really making that name uh, that they have now. Yeah, yeah. They, but I mean, right now we've got the situation where our market is flooded compared to last year. I mean, I've uh, I. It's amazing how many new duck hole makers are popping up every single day. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And the market's getting flooded. So last year, a call that sold for 150 uh, I yep. mean, guys are trying to sell them for 75 now, and they can't even move them. So there's a bunch yeah. of guys that have stock that are just can't move them. Yeah, you got um, you, you got two different trains leaving the station in two different directions. You've got... You, you do have an oversaturated market. It's it's really been oversaturated for a long time. And a lot of guys used to want to blame shows like Duck Dynasty 
well, that's the reason that, you know, they came out of the woodwork. Nah, man, it's just because they have so much resources at their fingertips. Yeah. Dude, they don't even have to ask a question because they can go on, they can go on YouTube. They can watch a guy turn a duck call from start to finish. You know, they can go Google whatever and, and they've got, you know, page upon page of information um, on, on how to do certain things that we had to figure out on our own. Yeah. I remember one of the biggest things that was like such a mystery um, is when it came down to uh, guys, you know, actually putting their insert in their jig and having to file the material down to the to the jig. And so what you would do is you would try to cut the wood as close as you could to the jig without touching it because you don't want to mess up your bandsaw blade. But then you spend a lot of time filing. And one of the biggest trade secrets back then was guys were using, you know, like these like bits, like these roto zip bits. They had them set up where they could turn on the machine and, and really crank that wood down to the profile of the jig in just like a matter of seconds and then go back and finish up with their filing work. And I remember thinking, you know, the first time I ever saw it was, man, I got to figure out how that, you know, how, how they did that. And nobody would ever, would ever talk about it. You know, now you can go anywhere and see it. But there were a lot of secrets back then. Um, and the only way that you ever figured it out is you had to, you had to mess up some wood. You had to you had to have an idea and you had to try it out and if it didn't work it didn't work you just tossed it to the side and tried again and it's not quite like that anymore I mean I see guys now that are brand new in the call making and the very first duck call that they ever make is made out of some crazy fifty dollar a blank burl yeah you know we we never you know all our stuff was done from hedge cedar walnut you know. If you splurged, it was cocobola and blackwood, African blackwood. Um, but, you know, there, there's just a lot more resources. It leads to a lot of other guys thinking, hey, I think I can do this. Usually what I find is, is the guys that aren't really serious about it, they just they think it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. They might get into it for a year or two. Um, and then they just either they're not selling or they just lose interest and they stop. Yeah. Um, and you've got some guys that, like I said, it's two different trains leaving the station in two different directions. You've got some guys that were selling calls for 125 bucks that are now having a hard time moving anything, and they've started dropping their prices down, you know, to 75 bucks just trying to move a call. At the same time, you've got guys that used to sell calls for 100 bucks that are now they're selling calls for 350 bucks and up. And it la- and and when they post those things up, it lasts maybe five seconds, and somebody's bought it. Um, yeah. You know, so it's 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 crazy. You know, it's a crazy thing. Yeah. Then you have the CNC lines to talk about that are like yeah. People buy them for a brand new CNC layers for three hundred dollars and flip it for six, and then four years, someone's selling it for fifty bucks on eBay. Yeah. Um. I don't understand the whole thing about CNC calls. It's I can understand it more if it's a material that's only going to be run one time. You know, if you had some kind of if you had Weston House micarta or Elephant Ivory, whatever, something that you can't get 
and they made a CNC run, I can understand that they move at a higher price like that. Mm-hmm. But guys that are paying ridiculous prices for a machined call, it's, you know, I don't understand it sometimes. Um, I think John Stevens is a genius. Uh, he can make the same duck call, a uh, CNC line, and he can take a laser engraver and engrave something different on it. And people just clamor to, 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 to get, you know, to buy this new call. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy stuff. I, I don't understand. The CNC market has always been kind of strange to me too, because you can become a legitimate call company with a CNC line. And if you go back and look, there are a lot of companies out there that that's how they started. Mm-hmm. They've never, they've never turned a lathe on a day in their life. They don't know how to make a custom call. What they did know was who to call that could divide, that, that could develop a tone board for them. And they knew who to call to get the parts machined and overnight you see a company pop up and you're like, who who is this? And where did this CNC line come from? I've never seen, I've never seen any work from them before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and now, you know, nowadays that's, that's a common occurrence. Yeah. But then you have like RNT. I mean, John Stevens is like third, fourth generation apprentice, right? He learned from Richenbach and Richenbach learned from, uh, Chick Major, and I forget who Chick Major learned from, but I mean, it's just endless. Then you have the Haydales that were making stickless duck calls out of PVC pipe, and then you have Phil Robertson that put his time in since 1972, freaking making what people would say today are crappy duck calls with birch and cedar but they sound good i mean these guys put their time in back in the day and we've just come into a generation where in a week you can turn a duck call and you put it up for 75 bucks yeah yeah it's um you know like i said there you don't you don't always understand why people buy what they buy um but there's got to be some type of method to the madness yeah yeah, I, I think when all the smoke clears, Chris, I think the guys that really put the time in are going to be stick, sticking around. Yeah. I think it's well, going to so. get worse before it gets better. I think there's going to be a collapse in the market. I think there's going to, it's going to be so oversaturated that a lot of guys are going to quit because they can't sell anything. And to a lot of call makers, that's the big issue. You know, they need to sell. If they don't sell, they're not interested. Um, I think that's going to be what really brings it back um, down to where it used to be is a lot of the guys that think that they should be having more success than they actually are, mm-hmm. um, you know, are just walking away from it. I've seen a lot of guys walk away already. Uh, guys that, you know, for for a month or two could do no wrong. Yeah. Guys that were, you know, they could list up. They they could they could put one of their custom inserts in a potato, and and sell it in less than five seconds. Yeah. And 
there are some guys like that that have walked away. You may not have noticed, but you know, one day you're just sitting there and you go, you know, I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen this guy post anything in quite some time. And then you go and look and realize that he made an announcement like two years ago. It says, Hey man, I'm walking away from it. So I hate to see some of the better call makers kind of take that path. Um, but like I said, I think there's going to be a market correction. I've already seen it with some guys that used to, uh, their duck calls used to bring in, you know, four or $500. And now the secondary market, they're listed for like 200 and nobody will buy them. So I think there's definitely been a market correction or at least some type of, uh, maybe, maybe the market just went a, a different direction. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 uh, real quick, let's talk about the call lounge. When did you, you're the person that founded the call lounge, aren't you? Or yes. one of them? Yeah, I was the founder. Um, uh, that, that site was actually made, uh, quite some time ago. If you look at the official birth date of the site, I think it's like November 25th of 2020. So we're coming up on the two year anniversary this year. Um, I think we're sitting somewhere around 2,300 members. Nice. I would, I would say that most of them are pretty active on the forum too, which is, you know, which is what we wanted. But mm -hmm. the page was actually created uh, before that point in time. Um, it was just an idea that I had to try to create a place. You know, I, I was, I, I'm members, I, I'm a member of all kinds of different duck hunting and duck calling sites. And I can't control what goes on on those pages. So if, if the mission or the, you know, the mission statement of the page, it starts getting mm -hmm. away from that. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You either don't visit it anymore or you just kind of deal with it. And this page was really, it was created as a place to try to get back to the way things were before Facebook. Um, back in the day of the refuge forums and THO and CCO, the, the community atmosphere that was there, um, the, just the sharing of knowledge, um, the encouragement of other, you know, call makers encouraging other call makers to be creative and, and to try new things. Um, but also a place, ultimately you've also got to have a place where people can sell what they make. Um, if you don't have call buyers, the page will ultimately fail um, or it will never grow. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy where we're at right now. Uh, you know, compared to some other pages, we don't have a lot of members when you come, you know, when you compare it. But what we have is is quality. Um, definitely some quality membership. What happened after the page was actually started, a lot of invites got sent out. I, I had already picked my staff. Um, it was, um, I think Aaron Wingert was the first one I approached. Uh, I really, I, I know how busy he is, and I really didn't expect him to step up and, and do the things that he has done for the page. I mean, he really does 
he stays on the page a lot, uh, helping to keep things running smooth. Um, Brian Rubenstein from Deadshot, um, Corey Sorensen from Great Lake Calls, and uh, we brought on Vince Crawford, who actually was a moderator on the old THO page. Um, and these guys were all brought together um, with the idea that this is what I wanted to do as far as the atmosphere. Um, we don't, you know, we kind of let it be known early on that this isn't the page to, to start a bunch of internet fights. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't gonna, you know, we weren't gonna tolerate that. Uh, and, and actually we've never had a problem with it, at least not as of now. We've, that's never been an issue. And <clears throat> in the weeks after it was created and guys found the page either through invites or just on their own, uh, guys, I, I haven't spoken to in, in years that used to make the most beautiful calls you've ever seen. They found the page. They came back and they started posting things they used to make. We had a influx of guys I'd never heard of before that have really used the page to their benefit. And, you know, they're going to be, for a lack of better word, they're going to be the next Ronnie Turners and Brad Samples and Mike Stelzner's. Um, mm -hmm. It, it was just all of a sudden it was like old and new kind of came together. Um, it's it, it, it's a phenomenal community, and we're growing by the day, and I hope to keep doing so. Um, but we've got certain things that we we kind of learned from other places that we didn't want to happen um, on our page, and we kind of stuck with those rules. And you know, it's been running pretty smooth. Um, I couldn't be happier for it. Nice, nice. So, I mean, uh, real quick, talk about the uh, competition y'all are running right now because that is so cool. Yeah, so we're doing our first competition for the page. It was uh, um, Tyler Christian actually approached me about wanting to run a contest on the page. It was something that we had actually discussed before but felt like we didn't have quite the membership numbers to, to produce a great contest. So we just kind of put it on the back burner. Um, when Tyler approached about wanting to do a contest, I felt that time was, was right. Um, to, to do a small contest, you know, it didn't have to be anything big, but just something to get members engaged and, and, uh, give them something to look forward to. Um, we, <clears throat> we we discussed it at length, and the only thing that I, I've kind of let Tyler just kind of run with it. It's kind of been his show. Um, the only thing that I told him in the beginning was I was like, look, if we're going to do a contest, I want to see a contest that nobody else does. And that's where the idea came from to have a collaboration between two call makers to produce one duck call um, for judging. And, um, you know, I've been extremely pleased with the – with the turnout that we had, I've already seen some of the calls that were entered. Um, and it's, it's been, you know, it, it, it far exceeded what I expected, uh, because you never really know what's going to happen. Uh, when you, when you put a contest on, you, you don't really know if, um, if guys are gonna, um, really give their best effort or if they're going to wait to the last minute and just try to turn something in, um, to try to prevent some of that. we, we threw prize money in there. I think uh, first place takes 600. Um, second place is like 400 and I think third place gets two. It's 
to be split between the two call makers. Um, Dead Shots also donating acrylic prize packages, and there's going to be a trophy for at least first place. Um, so we tried to give some incentive to to really produce something. Um, and the requirements were, it was really an open-ended thing. It's just like, look, guys, it's just a collaboration. Um, these are the rules, and do your best. And I think what it really got guys to do was to push themselves to try some techniques that they had never done before. You know, we got guys trying to do scrimshaw that have never done that before, guys learning how to check. Or, um, you also get to play off your partner's strengths, you know, um, maybe he's maybe he's a great carver, but his duck calls don't sound quite as good. Maybe you make a great sounding duck call, but y- you know you don't, you can't carve or you can't check her. And it's just like you get to play off each other's strengths and try to produce a great call. And the turnout's been magnificent. Um, I think in the beginning we had seventeen teams that turned in. Uh, their entry forms, and of those 17, 16 entered calls. Um, so we're actually in the judging process of that now. Um, we've got two sound judges and two guys that are doing the uh, <clears throat> the visual uh, aspect of the judging, the fit and finish kind of thing. Um, so as soon as that wraps up and we get a final tally of scores, then we'll be posting the winners online soon. Nice. Yeah, some of the pictures I saw, um, oh my gosh, there there are just some incredible calls coming out of this competition. Yeah, there's there's calls coming from from guys that I didn't expect it to come from. You know, if I hear if I hear like, you know, Brad Samples and Randy Sesco are paired up, I'm thinking, "All right, that's going to be a bad call, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, it's it's going to be, you know, awesome." And then you, there's some guys that maybe you don't know quite as well or you've never even heard of them before, and they've put out some phenomenal calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just goes to show that there's there, there's a younger talent out there that is, um, you know, eagerly waiting their chance at the top, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, the pairing I was really excited about was Grant McDougald and Ron Davis. Like I was like, that that is going to be something so cool. I just went through the list, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to see that one. Can't wait to see that one. There's- yeah, there's um there there was there was a couple of teams where I I really expected. All right, these are going to be, you know, these are going to be the teams to beat. Um, mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, just from and and I try not to look too much because I am one of the judges for for the uh for the visual mm-hmm. side of things so i've kind of tried to stay away from really looking at them a uh-huh. lot until i get them in hand but just kind of at a quick glance is like wow i'm, I'm really impressed that, that you know by what this team put you know put forth and uh i think the effort was um was great i think everybody got their calls in on time um we didn't have any last minute holdouts uh and everything I saw looked really good, um, so I'm I'm very impressed that the first contest that we've we've gotten on the page has has really exceeded what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and you know these competitions are so important. I mean, these competitions online because you're able to make them out of your shop, you send them in, and then people get to see pictures of your work. And yeah. I mean. 
And where are they on the scale? Where did they match up against someone else? And I mean, you know, that that really, um, that that sometimes gets you orders. So, I mean, when you get in there and put the effort forth and you're like, hey, I can make a quality call and people see pictures, um, I mean, and not everyone's going to look at the first one that wins and be like, that is... You know, some people like African Blackwood or Coca-Cola or Hedge. or So they may look at third place and be like, I would love a call like that and contact that person. So, um, yeah. Yeah, comp- just because it didn't win the contest doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, help guys get orders right. by, by far. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm just – we felt like there were two things we needed to do with the contest. Um Number one, we felt like we needed to charge an entry fee. We did that, number one, to help sustain the contest because all the money that we've gotten from entry fees has gone right back into the contest. Um, We haven't made a dime off of anything. We've actually lost money because there's been a good bit of stuff that's come straight out of our pockets. Yeah. But all the prize money, we actually had some donors that kicked in some cash for prize money. Um, Like I said, dead shots kicked in some acrylic and things of that nature. But – we we felt like if we had people put an entry fee, put some money in the pot, it it would. I hate to say that it would cut down on the number of entries because I want as many entries as we can get. But at the same time, it cut down on the entries of guys that maybe wouldn't have taken the contest seriously mm-hmm. had it been a free contest just to enter. Yeah. Um, I think putting a little bit of skin in the game, even though it wasn't much, but putting you know putting some skin in the game i think um made you know kind of weeded some of those guys out um not to mention you know offering a prize package not just bragging rights Mm -hmm. i think it made people try that much harder to actually win you know yeah so those were the two things that we set out to do um to uh to to try to you know, kind of structure the contest and we haven't decided, you know, we're, we're just kind of playing it by ear um, to see how everything goes to see whether this is going to be the annual contest or if maybe if we decide to do another contest, if it has a completely different format, we don't know yet. We're kind of waiting on the contest to end. We'll get feedback from everybody. Um, and this, you know, hopefully this will become a, an annual thing. Cool. Cool. Well, um, what, um, I'm sorry, I just had brain fog, but, uh, what is the, uh, what, what we're going to have to close it down here in a second, but what can we look forward to, uh, Owen's custom calls in the future? Uh, man, I, I'm really just hoping just to keep working through the orders I have. Like I said, I'm, I had a computer problem. Um, all the orders that I had, left to do um they're gone so Mm. my master list is gone Uh, luckily it wasn't it wasn't a lot and a lot of the stuff i'm able to go back through some through some of my messages and find uh the guys that um that ordered that i had down to make calls for Mm -hmm. um you know but it was a problem and i'm sure i'm gonna miss somebody there's no way i'm not gonna miss anybody and um you know i haven't taken any orders for the past year or two so um you know if those guys 
at some point in time, they're going to be like, wait a minute, I didn't get a call from him. If they just messaged me, I can go back in our messages and see where they asked for a call. So it's not really a big deal. Um, just something they'll have to work out on its own. But I think, you know, I've been thinking, as I think all call makers that ended up taking on too, way too many orders, it's like, where do you go from here? So do you open your, you know, open your book, so to speak, and allow more people to order calls? Or do you turn around and just make what you want and hope you can sell them as you make them? It's, you know, that's mm-hmm. a decision that's going to have to be made. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do as far as that's concerned. But, you know, I also have a pretty good whistle lineup. Um, I've actually – I won Easton um, at the championship there when, when they had the only time they ever offered a whistle division. But um, – so I'm kind of I'm I'm getting pretty well known for making those whistles as well, and I'd like to really be able to branch out and start doing some other things. There, I've got lots of ideas in mind, not just with whistles, but um, just some decorative things with the calls, and mm-hmm. always improving the sound as well. I probably try to make a new tone board at least once a month, but um, you know, just really kind of getting back to to really tinkering. I mean, yeah. uh, there's no better word than that. I mean, I think when you can get in your shop and just kind of mess around like you did when you first started, I think um, that's what I really want to get back to doing to see what new stuff I can create. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy with, with the cigar call. I'm glad that I've been able to make a lot of sales off of it. I'm going to continue to make them, but there are other things that I think I can do too, and I would like to be able to show that off as well instead of – really getting out here and making the same thing every mm-hmm. single day. So hopefully in the future, I'll be able to, to make some time to kind of do some things that I've been interested in for a while. Nice. Nice. Now, do you think you'll ever make like a real foot call that's like huge and call it the Churchill, like a giant cigar? <laughs> um, if you, uh, if you go back and look, uh, you'll see that that's been done. Really? Uh, yeah, I actually made um, a goose flute. Uh, really? I think it was. Let's. I, I'm. I may. I, I don't even know where the measurement. I think I had measurements somewhere here, somewhere in here. But uh, I think the final length might have been around nine inches. Oh yeah. my gosh! Um, you you do a, you do some quick searches on some of the pages. You'll you'll come across it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's the only one I've done. It was uh, actually raffled off. Um, I think it ended up getting like, I think it made somewhere almost, almost 700 bucks. Holy crap. Yeah. I know who's got it. Um, (laughs) he said he was going to give it to his dad when he, when he got it, he was the lucky number. And, uh, um, but yeah, it's been done. (laughs) Almost everything has been done with that. I can almost, I, I can guarantee that, you know, I, I, a lot of guys think that those mallard or those uh, cigar calls were all whistles. Nah, I mean they were all single reads mm-hmm. until one guy asked me to make a whistle, and then it was kind of like a mix of back and forth. Some guys didn't even realize that the original cigar calls were single reads. Huh. Um, they thought it was always a whistle, and that's not the case. So, um, one other thing I can tell you is, is I'm probably going to discontinue making whistles out of the cigar style. So it's going back to straight single read um hmm. 
So if so to the guys that have one, you know, hang on to them because I'm not going to make any more of them. At least that's my thought as of now. Yeah. But yeah, there's been a there's been a large um, there's been a large cigar made out there. It's <laughs> it's pretty hefty. <laughs> have you ever sent them in cigar boxes? No, I, you know what? I thought about doing that one time before. Um, and when I when it when it came down to it, it just if it was a special gift or something I was doing for a buddy and I just wanted to spruce it up, I would do that. But mm-hmm. from a business standpoint, it's just an added expense that you know it, it just if I did that, then I would have to drive the price up, and um, which the prices are probably going up anyways because uh, material and things mm-hmm. of that, you know, everything's going up now, yeah. but. So there's going to be probably going to be a price increase um, in the future. I haven't raised my prices in, in a long time, but, um, you know, that that's just as cool as it would be. It would just be a big added expense that, um, you know, that it's just business-wise just doesn't make a lot of sense. Even though, like I said, it would be really nice to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Chris, are you at the end of every episode? I ask every guest three questions. Are you ready for them? Yeah, sure. First of all, was there anything you needed to add before we move on? No, I I would just say that anybody that's listening out there that hasn't checked out the call lounge, um, it's a really cool place to hang out. Uh, and you know, you want to go over to Facebook and, um, you know, come join uh, we'd be more than happy to have you there. Cool. Cool. All right. Are you ready for the last three questions? Sure. If you could go back to, if you could go back in the time machine and go back to one hunt and live it all over again, what would it be? First turkey I ever killed. Really? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I had to work and I'm not, I'm not going to draw out the story for you, but like I, I mentioned earlier, everything I did hunting wise, I had to learn on my own because I didn't have anybody that did it. Mm-hmm. You know, turkey hunting back then, I didn't. I knew two people that turkey hunted. Hmm. Um, I didn't know any duck hunters. Um, everybody I knew deer hunted, or squirrel hunted, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I would say my first turkey that I ever killed, I was by myself it took me five years of making every mistake in the book before i finally got everything right at least Mm -hmm. right enough to kill a turkey so yeah i would say if i could go back in time just to just to be able to relive the the first turkey i killed um bar none that would that would be it that's cool all right the second question if you could go on one hunt and go with Three, uh, if you could be in a duck blind with three people, I'm talking friends, family, heroes, alive, deceased, uh, and I'll even throw in an option of a dog. You can pick any dog. Who who would those three people be? Um, I would probably say that uh, the it, it's actually an easy question for me because the first two people I would bring, I would like to bring my dad. And just let him see why I started doing this so many years ago. Um, you know, he still doesn't hunt. Uh, he, he will deer hunt occasionally now, but we're still, you know, we're a fishing family. Um, 
but I would like to take him, you know, somewhere up north where you actually get to see migratory birds um, actually, you know, do their thing. I would like to take him, and I'd love to take my son um, with me as well. And the one other guy that I would like to have in a blind is a guy that uh, was a good buddy of mine. He passed away uh, a few years back. Um, he was the first person that ever introduced me to the world of migratory geese. And I have never been on a goose hunt since because we don't get migratory birds like they do in Maryland. But a good friend of mine, um, he was a, a guy that was known in the industry. He did a lot of work with different companies. Um, Zinc was one of them. Uh, but a guy named Mark Hoke, uh, he would definitely be the third. Cool. Cool. And the last and final question, Chris, if you could stand over the shoulder of any call maker of all time, living or deceased, and watch them turn a call in front of you, who would be? Uh, this actually happens. So <laughs> I considered um, Stump from RM Calls to be the best custom call maker there is right now. Mm. He is on top of the game. Um and I actually do get to stand over his shoulder and watch him turn. So, you know, we, he only lives two hours from me. We're really good friends. Um, you know, I, I, I used to travel up and see him a lot more than I do now. Um, family obligations kind of keep me, keep me home a lot more, but yeah, I've spent many times, I, I've spent, I've spent entire weekends at his place in his shop. Um, you know, he, we've been friends long enough and he trusts me enough that he can do things in front of me that he wouldn't, he wouldn't do in front of other people hmm. because he knows that I'm not gonna go and tell the world, you know, how he does certain things. But, yeah. you know, we trade a lot of secrets back and forth. Um, I've watched him turn duck calls. Uh, I know how he does certain things and, you know, so I would say for the answer to your last question, I mean, you know, I'm kind of living that dream, so. Nice. I can't think of anybody else better to watch, at least right now, than him. Yeah, and be, on behalf of all the uh, Quack Chat listeners, I just want to thank you for not saying Brad Samples, because there's enough <laughs> marks on the wall for Brad Samples. <laughs> Listen, man, Brad Samples <laughs> lives two hours from me. He stays up in Fountain Inn. Um Joey D from Tecton Game Calls, he's another great call. He's an up-and-coming oh, yeah great call maker dude he stays two hours from me and like i'm right in the middle of all these guys i've i see stump and joey on regular occasions but i have yet to go and see brad and he calls me all the time wanting me to come up and see him and i swear <laughs> i keep saying i'm gonna make time and i've yet to do it so um yeah that you know i guess i need to get up there and see the old boy and especially since he's got his new shop built so yeah uh, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that are kind of jealous that I could go and see some of these guys on a regular basis, and I'm just not doing it. But, you know, life happens, man. How the heck? This is what I don't get. How does a state like South Carolina, where you don't have a lot of migratory birds, but you have some of the top quality call makers in the country right freaking there? Yeah. It's incredible. I, I've thought, you know, I've had the same thought before. Um you know, not to take away from other states because, you know, a state like Arkansas probably has a dozen great call makers or more, you know. 
but they grew up doing it. I expect them to have right. more call makers. I'm, but I am surprised at a state such as North Carolina and South Carolina uh, that for as bad as our duck hunting is, that we can still produce some some really, you know, really good duck calls. And it comes down to the fact is maybe you don't get an opportunity to go and, and duck hunt like some of the guys do on a regular basis and kind of take for granted. But, mm-hmm. man, anybody can can learn to blow a duck call if you practice enough. And yeah. if you practice enough and get good at blowing a duck call, you can translate that into your work to make a better duck call. So um, I don't think you necessarily have to be a good hunter or be a, a, a very active hunter to be a, a good duck call maker. I'm sure it certainly helps, but you know, and, and a lot of times we travel, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we still duck hunt, but it just might not be here. You know, we may yeah. go to Arkansas or Canada. I think Joey, he disappears for like a, a couple of months every year and goes and works his, I think he guides up in he somewhere does. up in Canada. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, listen, he's, he, he's a South Carolina guy, but he's, up in Canada duck hunting every day for three or four months. So, you know, it kind of balances out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a couple months ago. I messaged Joey and I was like, Hey, where are you up to right now? And he's like, I'm up to this. And he sent me a picture of him and Brad samples and Brad in Brad's shop. And they were turning together. I was like, that is so dumb. Yes. So yeah, much talent in one behind the lathe. Oh my god! And it's funny because I don't think in all the, you know, Joey stays down in Charleston. Um, my wife's family has um, a vacation house in Charleston. It's like two hours from here. Mm-hmm. I'm down there a lot. If I'm not here at home, I'm probably in Charleston. And, mm-hmm. and dude, I, I I've hung out with Joey many a day and. Not yet have we ever done anything with a duck call. It's we'll talk about them, but you know I I remember like maybe it was around the fourth of July or whatever. He invited my family over. We had a big cookout um, out on Folly Beach, and um, Bear Lyles came down with his wife, and we just kind of sat on the beach and had a good time. You know, some of the guys that I hang out with that are phenomenal duck call makers. A lot of times we do never, you know, get around to talking about duck calls. We just we enjoy each other's company and just hang out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it. Uh, uh, yeah, Joe, Joey brought up a. Um, uh, he was. It was. He just brought it up one day, and he was. He uh, brought up. He's like, "Hey, uh, I'm at dinner with a minister that's looking for a praise and worship leader." And I've done that yeah. in the past. He's like, you know, you could move down here to South Carolina. I was like, dude, don't freaking tempt me. I was like, in the middle of that state with all that talent. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, man. And then when you, if you get toward the coast and really pick up a love for, um, you know, inshore fishing, the inshore offshore fishing, man, it's, you know, that's, I, I will tell you that I probably spend the majority of my time inshore fishing mm. um other you know i i lost my deer lease right at the last minute this year uh, 
you know, and, and I told my son, I was like, look, man, we lost our deer lease. I know it's last minute. I'm not going to find another one. I, we'll just go fishing. So, yeah. you know, we have a lot of things going on down here. Apparently, most of the north has heard about it because they've, they're moving down here in droves. Yeah. Yeah. As for me, I'm Indiana bound for the foreseeable future. So, but, <laughs> um, yeah, Chris, man, thank you so much for calling in, you know, that, uh, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it, man. Hey man, it's been fun. I appreciate it. All right. If you don't mind, just stay on the line and I'll close her out real quick. Sure thing. All right. So that was Mr. Chris Owens, Owens custom calls. If you get a chance, check out his duck calls. Look at the, pictures of those cool cigar calls and if you get a chance uh check out um the call lounge and join that you will get a lot of information you will see a lot of awesome quality calls on there make sure to join that page and get involved um so yeah so till next time this is riley hendrickson with rilo's quack chat what in the hell are you doing Ah, just running a drill bit through a whistle. Sometimes with those, sometimes with the wood. <laughs>